Yep, you guessed it. We're back again at another amazing episode on the Map Axer Show with Jeff Lubdell. Jeff is uh, probably one of the most influential West restaurant owners uh, in the state of Michigan, owning nearly 20 restaurants all across uh, the greater Grand Rapids area and Traverse City uh, Traverse City area as well. You name it. Places like Beltline Bar and Grill, places like the Omelet Shop, and so many other amazing ones. He's served so many thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of meals across the greater West Michigan area and Traverse City area. He's hired thousands of people. He's a leader. He's humble. He's down to earth. And he's just an amazing and fantastic person. I really enjoyed chatting with Jeff because also came at a pretty timely conversation when the state of Michigan was talking about opening up restaurants and hearing his perspective on that. And he's just he's just the man. So, Jeff, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you for the leader that you are. And uh, keep doing you. Thank you, Jeff. Well, Jeff, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks for having me on, Matt. So I think we were originally connected by uh, good old Grant Cheney way back in the day. I think it was like two years ago, maybe three years ago that he connected yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. So he's a phenomenal guy. I got to give him a little love because he'd give me a lot of crap if I released this and didn't so make sure to cover that. But yeah. so we, uh, we, we connected. I know a little bit about your story. Obviously, you're doing some moving and shaking in the restaurant industry and have been in that industry for quite some time. But if you're willing, I'd love just to hear your story, your background and Sure. You know, get the listeners a little update on that. Sure. Um, yeah, Grant, uh, he's a great guy. I played men's league hockey with him and a crew have been together for 15, 20 years. And I didn't play this winter at all. I had a, a neck injury, so it kept me out. And then the COVID and all that. So I guess it worked out for the better. But Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Take a break. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I grew up in a restaurant family. My dad uh, is kind of my inspiration. He was uh the third of three boys that grew up on a farm in Ravana, Michigan, the only one to make it past eighth grade. Um, he has a book. I'll give him a plug about his life story called Climb from the Cellar. Oh, love that. Uh, who's the one of only three boys to make it past uh, eighth grade and, and went on his first job out of Michigan State was managing Warwick Hills uh, Country Club in Grand Blanc. And then eventually got into the fast food business and he and my middle brother have a company together and they have over a hundred fast food restaurants, uh, yum brand restaurants, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut. So, uh, to some degree I followed in his footsteps and, uh, went to Michigan state as well. Uh, studied restaurant management. Got Did you eat a lot of fast food growing up? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hard not to. <laughs> Tucky fried chicken, um, was our hometown staple. Uh, and we were friends with the McDonald, the people that own the McDonald's franchise and the Burger King franchise. So, um, yeah, so my first job was at a Kentucky Fried Chicken when I was 13, some 30 years ago. So I'll date myself here, but uh, 40 years ago, that's really a long time. No, but, no, no. Uh, I got, I got <laughs> the recipe hasn't changed much, so you're still current. <laughs> <laughs> got, you know, cut my teeth there a little bit in middle school, but, you know, didn't really like working for someone who liked from uh, work for my dad. I was probably the cocky owner's son. So went and worked at a local hotel and conference center for Kirk Bergsma and his pop Ralph at the waterfront Inn, and was a bus boy there and kind of really liked it. I was an employee of the month and decided I was going to go to Michigan state and study restaurant management. So what uh, was that? What was your first taste that, you know, you went from, okay, you grew up in it. It's kind of what you knew with your dad. What was your first taste to say? Like, I actually like this. This is like, this is something I, I enjoy. This is, I, I get, I, I'm at least going to pursue my career in that. What was that first taste for that? 
Uh, it probably wasn't my first check because I think minimum wage at that time was a dollar seventy-five, and I think you could pay miners a dollar twenty-five an hour. So uh, actually, I thought probably thought it was a lot of money, but yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I think working at that waterfront end was a good experience. I wasn't really working for a family; I was working on my own, and I liked that experience. And um, when I got employee of the month, I, I think it gave me some self-esteem that yeah, maybe there's something I could do for a living. And uh, like I said, I went to state. And I uh, had some good internships along the way. I was hired by a full service restaurant company out of Cleveland, Ohio, and was there in Indianapolis and Auburn Hills, about five years of experience doing that. Uh, and eventually my dad co-signed on a loan for me to start the bagel beanery with a drive-thru on it at Michigan and College in Grand Rapids. And I'm certain it was the first drive-thru bagel bakery and coffee shop in Michigan. It might have been in 1995, the first drive-thru coffee shop in Michigan. I haven't had anyone tell me otherwise. Um, Opened up three more restaurants in in the bagel business. And there there seemed to be a lot of sandwich and bagel and coffee shops coming along. And I was kind of taking a pause, wondering what to do next. And then a restaurant consultant that I worked with also worked with a place in Grand Rapids called the Beltline Bar, which is a big, busy Tex-Mex place, and said he was looking to um, sell the business to uh, someone that could keep all the staff, keep the recipes the same, uh, the traditions going. And so that happened in 2001. It seems like just yesterday. And um, from there, I guess uh, my, my doorbell kept ringing with uh, fellow restaurateurs that were retiring, wanting to get out of the business or diversify and saying, Hey, I heard you helped, uh, Jerry retire. Uh, I'm interested. Little did you know you buy one, you know, you have one person retire. Now you're helping the whole community. Yeah. So I became the exit strategy for fellow restaurateurs in West Michigan and Traverse city. And, uh, this time last year, we had grown to 20 restaurants, 12 brands and about, uh, 650 employees. So the, the, the bagel beanery, I want to touch back on. So that was, you, you didn't buy that. That started from the ground up, right? Yep. So you're the first one in Michigan, maybe in the country, or at least, you know, early adopter. What was the, what was the pitch to say all of a sudden I see, obviously it makes, it's a no brainer today, but at the time it wasn't. And so what, 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 what was the inspiration behind that? Well, there, there was uh, maybe two bagel shops in town and two coffee shops and, um, I had a friend in Kalamazoo that had a, a, a bagel shop and, and I said, well, it'd be kind of cool to put a drive-thru on because I had some of that fast food experience growing up. And, uh, there was this abandoned gas station at Michigan and college. And, uh, uh, my friend Camille from Martha's Vineyards actually scooped it up right before me and agreed to lease it to me for 30 years. I'm 25 years in. And, um, so, uh, I figured out how to saw off the corner of the building and put a really tight drive-through through there. And we, and I, and, I, and the building has a clock on it. I was going to call it bagel time and then change the name to bagel beanery to, to uh, signify both bagels and coffee after an R and D trip to California, where I saw a big line of people going into this place called Starbucks. <laughs> and then they get out of line and go into a place called Noah's bagel. I'm like, that'd be great if you could just put them both under one roof. And so that's kind of how it started. Um, opened up a couple more locations that were end caps and strip malls. And uh, they did all right, but not as good as the one with the drive through. And then the market kind of got saturated. And I had the opportunity to 
um, by the Beltline Bar. So I kind of uh, diversified a little bit instead of initially my dream was to, to grow a brand and make it a, a, a regional brand. What's the difference? So may, huge difference, I mean, just in business in general, but also specifically in restaurants of starting something yourself versus acquiring. What was, so for you, I guess, if you were to go back, which one would you say you learned the most from doing one or the other? And secondly, which one do you think you had the more, most fun doing? Oh, I, I really think it's a lot of fun starting up your own brand, but it's, you know, it's swinging for the fences. So, um, I mean, you've been involved with some startups, you know how that is. You're talking uh, to the wrong guy when it comes to swinging for fences. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and I think with that, that bagel beanery, I definitely hit a home run. And, and the other, the other three that I opened, uh, without the drive-thrus were probably, um, um, singles. Um, and then, my experience is if I've ever tried to buy a place and turn it around, it's, it's rarely worked for me. Hmm. Um, and buy a suffering place and turn it around or rebrand or reconcept it. No, I know a lot of people that have done well with that, but that just hasn't been my forte. I've, I've done well with, um, existing successful places and just acquiring them and just keep them doing what they're doing. Maybe fix the bathrooms, the bar, the parking lot, keep all the staff, all the guests, uh, and keep them doing what they're doing. Um, I, I along the way, I, I acquired a couple of restaurants in Traverse city called the omelet shop and bakery. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to open a couple of these in grand rapids and I'm going to grow this breakfast brand and, uh, open two in grand rapids. They, they did okay, but they were a really big investment. There's a lot of startup cost and, um, kind of stalled out there with the four locations. Um, one of them's lease is up at Breton village mall now, and, and that's, um, not going to renew it. So I'll be, went from four, um, omelet shops, two in Traverse city and two in grand rapids, just a three, one in grand rapids on Michigan street and two in Traverse city. Um, then I bought the grand Coney on Michigan street and I thought about growing that and opened a couple locations that didn't work out. So, I don't have a great batting average with opening new locations. Um, I know a lot of others that do, I give them a lot of credit, but what's worked best for me is turnkey acquisitions of successful places. And, uh, and uh, so I've kind of settled into that role and embraced it and, and looking for opportunities in that space. So you've uh, so, so, I probably am this way. And I know a lot of people are who say at one, one point in time, once I've got enough money, then I want to open my perfect restaurant, right? And so it's yeah. like kind of viewing it as more the dream rather than the reality. So from your perspective, what do you think is one of the best parts about owning a restaurant and one of the worst parts about owning a restaurant? Yeah, well, um, it's many, many, it's, many restaurants. So like you say, you saved up all this money. This is your dream. Let's say you saved up a million dollars, okay? And a million dollars is about what it takes to get white envelope space, and, and, and do your decor and, and uh, you still, you're still probably paying 15,000 a month in rent. So you take that million dollars to open this restaurant and you have your R and D and your legal and your setup and all your pre-opening expenses and training and equipment and FF and E and, and you get it all open. And if you build it and if they don't come and you've signed on a lease for 10 years and gosh, this, this, I, I put all my million into it. And now I'm operating at a $10,000 a month loss and I got to pay 15,000 a month in rent. So all of a sudden that everything you had a million dollars is now all of a sudden you're, now you're losing 300,000 a year going into the hole for the next 10 years, unless you get it to work. 
Now, on the other hand, if you hit a home run and, you know, the business is cranking, doing, you know, $3 million a year, you don't have any licensing fees or royalties. It's your own startup and, and you're, you know, putting 15% to the bottom line, then you're, you're making 400,000 a year uh, from your initial million dollar investment. So it's like I said, swinging for the fences. And, and I, I encourage, especially people that are thinking about this business to go out and work in the business for at least a year, work for somebody else, you know, work all your way through the kitchen, work in the dining room, run a restaurant. Um, who knows, maybe the restaurant you work at is a successful restaurant and that, that guy's going to want, your gal's going to want to retire and sell it to an existing uh, employee instead of knocking on Jeff Lobdell's door and <laughs> buy an existing one instead of having to start up your own. <laughs> That's amazing. You, you, you bring up a good point of a bit of a direction I want to go. So you mentioned, you know, for somebody who wants to get into opening up a restaurant to uh, go work in it yourself, you know, go maybe start from the bottom and just see it all the way through. One thing in the time we've spent together, I think we've, you know, either had a meal or coffee or something at three or four different restaurants. And I, I don't think it's just because the boss was sitting there, but it's amazing how well-respected you are among the entry-level workers there. And I guess my question to you is how have you been able to maintain, number one, humility, Number two, a level of leadership that you're not just the big boss making a big paycheck and nobody likes you, but you, you seem very, very well received among even of the employees that typically wouldn't like the boss sort of thing. So I'd love yeah. your perspective on that. Thanks. I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I love what I do. I love all my people, uh, especially a lot of the managers have been with us a long time. A lot of the staff have been with us a long time. I, we couldn't do it without them. Um, I could not work as undercover boss because everybody knows who I am, even with you know, 20 restaurants and, and 650 employees. Um, I, I like to get to know as many as I can. I wish I could know more. Um, but, uh, I, I do, do take an interest in all of them and their personal stories. And there's lots of places they can work for, but they choose to work with our organization. Um, many times as, as much as I'd like to take credit, uh, it's, it's, it's the environment they're in that particular restaurant that they get up every morning or afternoon and going to work too. They, they like the people they're working with. They like the guests. They love what they do. They love to serve the community and make people happy. And uh, they're almost kind of their own entrepreneurs. You know, they, they work for tips at the bar or in the, um, in the dining rooms. They do very well financially. If they're working in the kitchen, uh, they're working hard and they, they love the craft of making that great food. Uh, we're flexible with their schedules so they can have the hours they want. It's a good pathway to move up from a, a uh, cook into a, a, a kitchen manager. Some of our places we have a chef's executive chef. We have a corporate chef in our organization. So there's a pathway for um, um, evolving into leadership. And, and uh, so we're, we're fortunate. We have a lot of great people that we work with. So out of all the restaurants, what's your favorite, not one you don't own? In, in West Michigan. Oh, I know it's a tough one. Maybe favorite. Yeah. Two, give you two. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I, I really, I really enjoy a lot of them. Um, I have a lot of friends in the industry, so I wouldn't want to pick one yeah, versus the other. <laughs> I get that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, totally. I like that. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Essence Group and Gilmore Group and, you know, all the Vitalis and their relatives and all their places. Um, uh, there's, um, you know, Dan Hill has a cottage bar, uh, love Sanchez. Um, there's so many new restaurants that have come to town. Um, 
and and I could go on and on. I know I'm forgetting tons of people, but uh, but uh, yeah, we're lucky that Grand Rapids has so many great restaurants. And I always encourage people to go out and support lo- local restaurants, whether it's one that's for part of uh, Restaurant Partners Management and For Great Food, or if it's some of the other great um, people that have helped contribute to this community over the years. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there. There's, I, I think I told you this. I just uh, just bought a place. And I'm moving downtown Grand Rapids, actually. So I'm I'm pretty excited to be. Uh, Right near a lot of good food. So yeah. we may have to re-up that uh, gym membership at MVP and get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the greater uh, the greater um, restaurant community. And obviously COVID has been remarkably challenging. We could spend all day, you know, complaining about it and do that, this, that, and that's not the point of this. But I'd love to hear just as somebody who owns, number one, so many restaurants, and number two, you know, you have so many employees underneath you. How have you navigated these waters from maybe start of COVID, totally uncharted waters to basically where we're at today? I'd love your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it hit us kind of square in the forehead right about March 15th or 16th or so. I think uh, everybody in our family's now had their COVID birthday as we're lapping a year. Um, but uh, on March 16th, uh, our dining rooms were shut down for 77 days. And then on June 1st, we reopened. November 18th in Michigan, uh, one of the few states that shut people down again, was shut down for 75 days until uh, February 1st. So um, we w- actually, we went broke. We lost everything we had, really. We got the PPP saved us. Without that, we wouldn't have survived. Um, we used it. Um, it was still limited resources. Um, while we were shut down, I think we only had two restaurants that stayed open that first shutdown, the Beltline Bar doing takeout and curbside to go and that bagel beanery with the drive-thru. Um, so those two restaurants, uh, There's something iconic about that. I mean, yeah. not, not something to make light of, but the fact that that was your first one and that was one of the two that stuck around. I mean, that's kind of a cool story, but yeah, yeah. It, um, it's uh, well, quick service and fast food and fast food drive-throughs and the chains did pretty well. It was the independence that took it on the chin. A quick word from our sponsors. Do you need someone to help you demystify the digital marketing experience? Our fantastic and wonderful partners at Symposia Labs offers a free strategy session to talk you through your marketing presence and plans. Symposia Lab has a team of coaches who can help you navigate how to find uh, the people that you want to talk to, work with, you know, do business with sell products to anything that you can imagine from a digital marketing perspective, from building a marketing team to building a website to building a brand. This team wants to partner with you to help you grow. Take a look at Symposia Lab. And Tim Haynes is their founder and CEO and is just a phenomenal person. And I would highly recommend that you find him either on LinkedIn or SymposiaLab.com. Um, the, um, so, uh, we got this PPP money and, and we took care of our people because we didn't want to lose them. We guaranteed bonuses. We took care of their portions. Uh, everybody was furloughed. I never had to furlough anybody before in my life and furloughed 620 people out of 650 and um, uh, took care of their, their portion of the insurance plans, guaranteed some bonuses. Um, we we, we kind of set up a a company store and we had some amazing contributions from employees that were doing all right. Some of our employee alumni guest 
family members, community members came in, pitched in. I put in some of my own personal savings and every week we gave out a couple thousand dollars and we had like a company store, one in Grand Rapids, one in Traverse City where we gave, my wife made food from home, a big third pan of food. She made a hundred of these a week and uh, to feed families, we gave out gas cards or grocery cards, personal supply items. So every week we had something to give people that were in need. Many of these people, most of them had never been on unemployment before. Um, a lot of them waited two months. Some were still waiting for it. Um, some were ineligible. Um, but we did what we could to help people. I think they were grateful for that. We got a lot of po positive support. We were on TV a bunch talking about it. And I think that helped spur some more contributions to help our staff. Um, and um, so we, we took care of them as best we could. And, and um, uh, then we opened up to 50% capacity and, and, you know, we weren't, we're about breaking even and all the losses we took for 77 days were a little tough. Um, we made some tough decisions to get out of a bad lease of one location. And another one was lease was about up and wasn't doing the best there. We got out. So now we're down to 17 restaurants out of, out of, uh, 20. We, we put some improvements in a few of the locations and then we got shut down for another 75 days and we went broke again, all that PPP money gone. We have nothing left in the bank. Um, and, uh, and we got a second round of PPP. So uh, this time we're a little bit more conservative with that money. Um, we're going to try to save and hang on to it. We don't know. We're, we're operating at 25% capacity. So instead of every restaurant losing 15,000 a month, maybe they're losing five or eight. Um, it's better than being shut and losing 15. I mean, in some instances where you stayed open and just did carry out, you're losing 20,000 by, you know, so some of the restaurants had to close anyway furlough people. It's just, it's, it's a real tough in, environment to navigate. And, um, but now we're open 25%. We got a lot of our key people back and, um, the, the guests have been happy. The, the gratuities have been generous. The social media ratings have been generous and, and phenomenal. And, uh, I, I think unless we move backwards with, uh, restrictions or other pandemics, I think the future's Right. You were, um, I mean, first off, <laughs> good for you for hanging on with all this. That's uh, not easy at all. And I know you're a down to earth, good person. I'm sure you probably wore some of the, the personal attacks of uh, a lot of different stuff. I mean, just you, I, you, you want to care for your people. And I know you did a great job at that. So I just kudos to you and definitely look up to you for that. Um, we were talking a little bit before the call about just kind of some of the, the, the misunderstandings or misrepresentations or confusion of reopening back to 25%. And you and I could, you know, there's just no, not, there's not a lot of productive thought to be talked about governors or how to handle things differently or any of that, but it is today. And we're at where we're at today, but how, you know, dive in a little bit about just kind of the public's opinion of restaurants and reopening back up and you, you know, that approach. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I appreciate that. So, um, you know, I think restaurants and all of this have been vilified in the fact that, you know, uh, they were some of the, the first places shut down. Um, oddly enough, restaurants stayed open when salons and gyms or restaurants were the first to open when salons and gyms stayed closed. But then in the second go around, all those places stayed open and restaurants were shut down. So 
I think it falsely gave people a perception that, that, you know, I, I don't know if I should go to restaurants, they're dangerous. Um, and, and I can say with, uh, full confidence that I think restaurants are some of the cleanest, safest places in the community. Our managers are certified, our, our staff are trained. Uh, we we've tripled down on sanitation and already clean places. Everybody's screened before they come into work. Um, we have contact tracing available. Uh, everything's six feet apart. Everybody's wearing masks in the restaurant at all times. Uh, guests are asked to wear masks until they get to the table. Um, and, and we're just trying to keep things clean and safe. And, and uh, we're, we're really trying to get the, the, the battle of uh, consumer confidence back where it was because with the government and at the federal and state level and, and the media have kind of alluded that it's not really safe, uh, whether it's indirectly or, or directly. And, and, you know, I've probably had a dozen media appearances just saying how safe and clean it is. And that, you know, I challenge anybody to show me family restaurants that have had COVID outbreaks. Nobody can do that. I mean, the outbreaks are coming in private parties or in, in uh, offices where they're not wearing masks or working safely. I have a cousin that's an ER doc and she says a lot of, a lot of people are, you know, they're as careful as can be. They didn't go anywhere for the holidays. All they do is go to the grocery store once a week. So where do you think they got it? And, and the grocery stores, you know, we're not criticized or penalized, uh, like restaurants are. And, and, and I think a lot of those, uh, places are, you know, uh, being restaurants are, are very critical, um, uh, not only for the work, but the, per, the service they provide the communities. And um, so that, that's a big thing is it, just letting people know that restaurants are safe, go out and enjoy yourself, make sure you're with people that, that, you know, don't have any symptoms um, that have been vaccinated, that have already had it. So they have immunity, um, but go out and enjoy yourself. I mean, these the restaurants are the heartbeat of the community and uh, without restaurants, cities, even rural places don't have that sense of community and sense of place that that's really important. And um, so we need people to get back and support restaurants wholeheartedly. Yeah, I love that. Um, let's take a 10,000 step back. So COVID is certainly a season and whatever the outcome is going to be in the next year, two years, 10 years, whatever, we're going to get through it. So for, for you, you're obviously continuously committed to your current team, current restaurants, current employees, but what about like, as you continue going on, obviously you mentioned earlier, there's potentially, you know, you'd take a look at other restaurants. If somebody's looking to get out the retirement plan, right. Is that what you are? So, yeah. <laughs> but, but what, you know, take, taking a step back to say like, what ultimately in the next 10, 20, 30, you know, however long you're, you're still in this, what do you ultimately, what's, what's the hope accomplishment? What, what keeps you going in this? Well, I haven't yet developed an exit strategy. You know, I'm 55 years old and I have, but I have a, uh, 2018 and five and seven year old boys. So I'm going to be doing this for another uh, 15, 20, 25 years. I love what I do. Um, I get excited about it every day. Um, I think the industry will change a little bit. I think it already has changed a lot, a lot more touch-free ordering, a lot more online ordering. In fact, we adapted during the, um, when we were at 50% capacity, we brought in mechanisms so you can order online you know, put widgets on our website and on our Facebook page for people to order. So the second go around when the dining rooms were shut down, I think 11 of our 
20 restaurants actually operated with carry out versus the first go around. Only two of them did. Now, I don't know if any of them turned a profit, but they were, they at least kept some people employed, served the community. And, and we did the math and they lost less money every month by staying open and doing carry out than they would have been by closed. And that formula wasn't the same the first go around. It was clear that there was, it was made no sense to keep them open and, and do carry out a lot of particularly breakfast restaurants. They do carry out as a courtesy. It's not a big driving model, like a sports bar and pizza place. Sure. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think there'll be more order by app order by phone. Um, there's talk of down the road, you know, $15 minimum wage. Um, most of my cooks are near that. I wouldn't say, uh, at that, there are, there are several that are over that in the back of the house. Um, I think the market should demand that, especially in rural states and rural areas that they, I don't even think people are paying seven an hour, but I mean, it's got to be even across the country. I don't think anybody starts less than 10 anywhere. Um, ours are in the, uh, the upper mid teens. Um, but if they get rid of the tip credit, What's important to know that the tip credit, so servers make 367 an hour plus tips, um, even though our, our minimum wage, I think is 945. In the event of a snowstorm, in the event of road construction, in the, in the event something happens, when that server gets their check every week or two weeks, they will never make less than minimum wage. The restaurant is given a credit so that if they make, if the tips they earn or claim are less than 945, the restaurant pays the difference. So what um, the recent proposal was at the federal level is to bring everybody up to $15 an hour, including servers who, you know, instead of having them go from 367 to four, 450 or five plus tips, they would take them right up to 15 an hour plus tips. But the restaurant, I mean, they cannot afford to pay all the servers and bartenders and the tipped employees that wage. And, and those people are some of the highest paid people in the business. You know, they're making 25, 35, $40 an hour in tips. A lot of them are single working parents, their family depends on that. And so if they got rid of the tip credit for the restaurant, the unintended quant, uh, consequence, or maybe even intended consequence, it would eliminate those server jobs. So we'd have to go to tablets on the, on the tables, um, like in the airports or runners, and it would just eliminate those jobs. Um, so I hope that doesn't happen, but, you know, restaurateurs like myself are worried about the future and something like that could happen. Yeah. And I don't know if I ever told you this. I actually wrote my, I studied econ, uh, in college and I wrote my thesis on, uh, why I think we should actually remove the minimum wage because market, competition and actually drive it up. And I think we could get people paid more. And mm -hmm. so we could, we could riff on that for a long time, but I totally agree. Yeah. There's obviously, I, I don't think anybody has the wrong intended heart to say, let's get people paid more money, but differently than that, some of that, like a server, most of that money's not coming directly from the restaurants coming from the person tipping them. Right. And that obviously naturally is going to go away. If you guys are required to pay them three, four, five times as much plus tips. And it's just, mm -hmm. That's that's where some of the the uh, ivory tower impracticality is not as well thought through of versus what it actually pans out to be. So I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's. Um, I, I think if anything, it would throw a wedge between. We have half like right now the good, industry. Good name plug, by the way. Good name plug. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, there right now the workers, the staff, they don't want this. 
The businesses certainly don't want it. It's wanted from outside interest to force that upon our industry. Right now, eight states, seven or eight states have it and they hate it. And the service level has gone in the toilet there in those seven, eight states and restaurants have gone away. You've gone to either being able to go to a chop house down to Taco Bell, like all the little family restaurants. A lot of them went by the wayside. It drove away those jobs. Uh, the intended consequence would be to drive a wedge through the employer and the employee over this $15 an hour. And, and um, I just hope it never happens. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so one, if you were to, now, I don't know if you're thinking about this now, so obviously you don't need to offer any trade secrets, but if you were to start one new concept now, even if it, even if it was a dream and, you know, just something that you would love to, or maybe you never are going to do, but always wanted to, what would be one restaurant concept you'd love to consider? Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, um, I think there's plenty of good ones out there that I could just bring into the fold rather than try to start something up new. <laughs> don't work that hard. <laughs> uh, I, I know, I know a hot concept right now that um, if I was going to do a startup, I would consider is um, the ghost kitchen concept. So, you know, we had talked within our organization about doing something like that, you know, you know, maybe, and for those that I haven't heard of a ghost kitchen, it's like you go online and it shows this like food court with all these cool places and there's pictures and this looks like this really cool place. And you're like, I want to go there. Well, it's, it's delivery only. Okay. Well, it's a cool place, but you know, I don't know why there's all these people there. And, and it's just this cool branding online. And then you order and then somebody delivers you, you can get your Beltline bars, famous wet burrito. You can get your omelet shops, omelet. Uh, you can get your Pete's taverns, burger, um, Boone's primetime burger. You can get your uh, uh, white fish from Apache trail grill all under this cool space. And what it really is, it's like in a warehouse with delivery trucks that just send it out to you. So there, there is some, there is some um, growth in that, particularly in the big cities. There's, I think it's probably already here in Grand Rapids. If it's not already, uh, we've looked at it, but I still think deep down as much as, more people are learning to order by phone, order by app, have it delivered. I think there's that human interaction experience that people are longing for. They want to go out and see that happy, cool neighborhood restaurant in the middle of the holidays with the snowflakes falling down or be on that lakeside property, soaking up some sun, watching, uh, uh, you know, Matt and, and Grant out there on the sailboat while you're having a cocktail and, and uh, just enjoy the experience. The experience of restaurants, I think, is really, really, um, it's deep in people's soul. They want, they want to get back to that. No, I completely agree. And I think, you know, there's the, I felt this way, I mean, in my world a little bit, we interact more with like the difference of office space versus co-working space. So when COVID first broke out, everybody loved being home, loved being home, loved being home. And then they quickly hated being home. You got mm -hmm. the kids screaming in the background. You, you know, you and your wife both are working. You're both on conference calls. You can hear each other. Yeah. And all of a sudden you realize like there's no work-life balance at all and yeah. the headache of that. And so we're not there yet, but I'm like, I'm, I'm very confident that co-working spaces, open concept, community-centered workspaces are going to become super popular just because people are going to want to go somewhere. Maybe not all the time, maybe 50% of the time or whatever, but they're going to want to go somewhere. And I find that to be true with restaurants. Right now is easy. I can sit in my pajamas and order, you know, I got my six pack of beer and I can order my, my takeout and not have to go very far. But I think 
slowly. And I think some of it may be a little weather dependent too, but everybody's going to realize, man, sitting across from somebody having a beer is way better than a zoom beer or sitting, you know, just, just seeing people and whatever that may be. So I, I, I totally align with you on that. I, so I'm, I'm with you. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I have friends, restaurant tour. I'm on the board of directors with the national restaurant association. I have friends all across the country and, you know, they say it's not a hundred percent, but it's, it's, you know, almost back to normal in places like Texas and Florida and uh, Louisiana. Um, and, and they, they have that some sense of, uh, of things are soon to be back to normal that we have opti- optimism for here in Michigan. I mean, we all long for, to go into our uh, Spartan football games, Red Wing hockey games. Uh, I don't know if I'll say the Detroit Lions or not, but you know what I'm saying? The sporting yeah, yeah, events, yeah, yeah, the concert. Yeah. I was waiting for everything. you to say U of M, but I didn't think a Sparty I could get that out. <laughs> yeah, both my brothers are, are, are uh, Wolverines, and uh, um, and I, I, I cheer for them when they're not playing Michigan State. My, my son, who's a senior in high school, is uh, trying to decide if he wants to go to Michigan or Michigan State, and I support him no matter what he wants to do. Exactly. Big decision there. <laughs> Um, all right. So my favorite question on the planet is, uh, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And I guess twofold, I, I want to ask, I'm going to ask you to answer, uh, two ways. Number one, the, the question itself is what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Number two, what kind of impact do you want to leave? Whether it's on employees, you know, in a community, obviously, as you've alluded to a restaurant is a staple of community and bringing people together and you get to own that and support yeah. that and fund that and all that. Um, so yeah, I'd just love to hear number one, what gets you out of bed? Number two, what's the impact you want to leave? Yeah, I guess kind of unwork related is my family. You know, I love my family. I've got uh amazing wife and four sons and, um, uh, in my spare time when I'm not sitting in this cluttered, messy office, working on visiting restaurants, I'm coaching them in hockey or golf or spending time with my four boys and my wife. We enjoy going out. Uh, visiting fellow restaurant to a restaurant. So family is, you know, really most important to me on the business side, you know, like family. So I look forward to uh, my interactions with my district managers, my staff, uh, my general managers. A lot of these people have been with the same organization for 15, 20, 30 years. And some of them, you know, were like uh, worked for the Beltline Bar for five or 10 years before I even bought it 20 years ago. And, and, and the same could be said for a lot of the other restaurants. So it's the, the human interaction that uh, really, really uh, uh, gets me up and excited in the morning. I mean, restaurants operate on such razor thin margins. Um, there's got to be more uh, items out there like an inventor like yourself <laughs> that would uh, but inspire for rather than get into the restaurant business. Yeah, I love that. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you around and um, anytime. I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Check us out at thematbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, 
or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way and don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.